0: Welcome to episode 31 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Mishka Shibali. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am Rich Roll. This is the Rich Roll Podcast. I'm in New York City. I love it here. I'm having a great time. I've been here for several days and a couple more days to go before I head back to Los Angeles. And it's been an amazing time. Yesterday, I spoke at the Seed, the Seed Experience at 82 Mercer Street, which was amazing. Uh, Thank you to everybody who showed up. It was awesome. Had a couple hundred people show up to hear me give my spiel. And uh, it was a really cool event. I'm going back today, this afternoon. It's a two-day event. So... uh, can't wait to go and see some of my fellow plant-eating colleagues. Um, it's it's pretty cool because it's in this uh, loft space on Mercer Street, right in the heart of Soho, uh, which creates kind of a cool, unique, urban, hip environment, uh, which is somewhat distinct from a lot of the other kind of veg fest or, or veggie-oriented uh, events um, that I've been attending. And it's uh, had the honor of speaking at, um, tons of like hip people with lots of tattoos and piercings and (laughs) tons of great vegan food and people talking about getting healthy and getting fit. And, uh, it was a real pleasure and an honor, uh, to speak there and, uh, hope everyone who showed up enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed being there. Uh, I also got a chance to hook up and meet face to face for the first time. Uh, with my colleague, colleague uh, Tim Van Orden from Running Raw. You might remember him if you've been listening to the podcast. He was a guest uh, a couple months ago. He was a great guest, a very popular guest on the show. We did that interview by Skype uh, and I had actually never met him in person. So it was good to Kind of get to know him a little bit. I did a little video interview for him for his YouTube channel. So if you're a fan of Tim's, hopefully he'll be uh, uploading that at some point in the near future. And I've also been running around like a maniac, uh, recording all kinds of uh, podcast episodes while I've been here. I wanted to try to uh, get the most out of this trip uh, and sit down with some of the people that inspire me while I'm here uh, and start to create kind of a backlog library of interviews that I can start to um, upload over the next week or two. So a couple days ago, I had uh, an amazing experience. I went out to Queens to visit PS244, uh, a public school, a public elementary school that's K through third grade out there. Uh, You might have heard me talk about it, and I've tweeted about it a couple times, but PS244 is the first public school in the nation to institute an all-vegetarian school lunch program, and it caught headlines across the nation and and even internationally, some television news coverage, et cetera, uh, for kind of breaking this sacred ground. And if you know me, you know that I'm passionate about this school lunch issue, uh, which I think we need a lot of work on. It's pretty deplorable. It's pretty pretty embarrassing what kids are being fed at their uh, at their schools, whether it's a public school or a private school or what have you. And when I came across this story uh, and kind of read some of the menu items and the foods that they're serving these kids, uh, I was really uh, fascinated by it and knew that I had to go out and meet these guys. So I made the schlep out to Queens, sat down uh, with uh, one of the teachers, Christian Ledesma, who's sort of head of the wellness program there and was instrumental in implementing the new program as well as bob groff the principal um there's also another uh critical person in the equation um from the new york city uh healthy what is it called the new york coalition for healthy school foods i believe it's called um and she's up in ithaca she was not able to sit down for the interview, but I'm going to try to get her on Skype and include her in the interview as well because I know that she was uh, basically the key person to help make this happen. And what I was amazed to find out was you know, all the news articles sort of just talk about the school lunch, but what's really going on at the school is so much more beyond that. It's really a wellness and fitness-oriented curriculum to its core and in its constitution – and the school lunch is really just uh, the next manifestation of a whole array of programs that they're implementing there. They're growing some of their own food. This is like a city block school, and they have these pouches out along the fence where they're growing food. They have a tower. Uh, they have a. They have a tower planter in their library. I showed up. Uh, it was after school. It was in the afternoon. Most of the kids were already gone, but they had after school programs going on. I saw kids tasting blackberries and talking about what they felt when they ate these good foods. And I saw kids making granola bars and I was like, what is going on in this school? So anyway, I had a great conversation with Christian and Bob, and I'm going to be putting that up next week. Uh, I really think people need to hear this story. uh, And hopefully this lights a spark for other uh, public schools to follow suit. I realize there's a lot of political uh issues and um corporate conglomerate interests that are involved in the school lunch program it's a complex issue uh but there is work to be done and uh I wanted to shine a bright light on what these guys are doing so check that out look forward to putting that up sometime next week I also went over to CNN headquarters when I'm in New York City I always try to find an excuse to go over there and see my friends at CNN and uh, had the good fortune and opportunity to sit down with Ronnie Selig, who is the director of the Health and Wellness and Medical Unit over at CNN. She sort of lords over uh, that whole department uh, as an executive uh, vice president and producer. And she's also an accomplished triathlete. She's the person behind the CNN Fit Nation program uh and we had a great chat uh about what they're doing with fit nation about her personal story in triathlon which is inspiring and very very interesting and kind of what goes on uh behind the scenes over at cnn you know how how they decide to cover stories which stories to cover how they cover them and and that was really really cool uh i'm also going to sit down this week with jonathan fields the man behind the good life project um he has a phenomenal uh, program with that and is sort of busting paradigms all over the place. He's an inspiring guy who kind of came across my radar about a year ago, and I've been following him religiously. The last time I was in New York, I had the opportunity to sit down with him and and get interviewed for his uh, for his program, The Good Life Project, and, and now uh, – He's going to sit down with me and I'm going to get to pick his brain, which is pretty cool. I'm also going to interview Jason Waka, the CEO of mindbodygreen.com, which is uh, the leading wellness destination on the web uh, about his personal story, the founding of MindBodyGreen, kind of what they're doing over there. It's my favorite wellness site. Uh, they're doing amazing work and they have big plans. So that should be fun as well. Uh, I'm also going to do an interview with the fat burning man podcast. Uh, I don't know when that's going to go up. Probably not for a couple months. I'm not sure, but I'll be talking to him. Uh, what else? Uh, thanks for all the amazing feedback from the Asher Gunsberg uh, episode, episode 30, which I just put up a couple days ago. Got a lot of great emails, a lot of great tweets. People seem to enjoy that, which uh, is a relief. Uh, <laughs> Because if you listen to it, you know, we switched gears and, uh, Osher interviewed me and, and he's great. He's, he's a great guy, total pro at interviewing. And I I knew that he would be a a good candidate to kind of sit down and, and pick my brain. We've gotten to know each other a little bit and gone out on some runs and, you know, he's a professional host. He was host of, uh, Australia's version of American Idol, Australian Idol, uh, And, uh, a bunch of other TV shows, including a big TV show here in the U S uh, that was on, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago on CBS called live to dance. And, uh, he's a great guy. So I'm really glad people enjoyed that. If you haven't listened to it yet, um, you should go back and listen to episode 30. Uh, what else is going on? Well, as I mentioned, uh, this sort of, uh, flipping the switch here and having the, uh, spotlight on me for a change on the podcast was an idea from my publisher who said hey your paperbacks coming out you know uh, on the podcast instead of interviewing people why don't you have uh, somebody interview you which is where the idea for having osher sit down with me came from and i wanted to break it up into two parts osher's interview was part one and today we're going to do part two uh, and the person that that I kind of nominated to uh, handle this is the good Mishka Shabali. That was another very, very popular episode when I sat down with him uh, about a month ago and interviewed him. That was a really intense, in-depth interview that people seemed to enjoy. And I thought that he would be a great guy to, in turn, interview me. And we could cover a bunch of topics and ground. Uh, that uh, only Mishka knows how to delve. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, and I think it's a good complimentary piece to the Asher interview because we talk about a bunch of different stuff that we didn't talk about with Asher. And once again, uh, as it always is with Mishka, it goes deep, it's intense, because he's an intense guy. And I love that guy. Uh, so that's what we're putting up today. I'm excited to share this with you. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um Why am I doing this? Uh, Well, as I continue to mention, my paperback, the paperback version of Finding Ultra is coming out on May 21st, which is in a couple days. Today's Sunday, May 19th when I'm recording this. And you got to give me a break, man. I got to get a little self-promotional here. I started this podcast uh, really because I wanted to introduce to you guys all of these people that uh, I've been able to meet as a result of this journey that I've been on, really cool people with amazing stories and amazing information, and I wanted to shine a spotlight on them. This podcast is about my guests. It's not about me. But uh, I got to get uh, a little shameless here. <laughs> my publisher basically said they don't have the resources to help uh promote the paperback release and I don't have a publicist and there really isn't any uh, press to speak of to help buttress uh, getting the word out about the paperback. And uh, so it's on me. It's on my shoulders to try to make something happen. And uh, I want to move units. What can I say? I spent two years writing a book. Uh, it feels weird to try to kind of tell you guys, hey, buy my paperback. And especially. You know, I would imagine a good percentage of you that are listening to this show have already read my book. They're like, enough with this book that you wrote two years ago. Come on, let's move on. But uh, it's a window of opportunity in which I have to get a little bit shameless. So I'm apologizing now. Forgive me. And I hope that the interview at the same time uh, will be entertaining and, and uh, enlightening. <laughs> And for those of you who uh, have not bought the book, maybe you'll think about uh, picking it up. Father's Day is coming out. And hey, the paperback's cheap. I think it's like $13.50 on Amazon. So wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Done. Get something for dad. It's a no brainer. Inspire dad to get off the couch, get him moving, change up his diet, whatever, man. Um, It's a simple, easy, quick gift. And uh, I'm doing my best to get the word out. Actually, it was cool last night. I was walking home uh, to my hotel from the Seed, and uh, ra- you know, when I'm in New York, I like to walk everywhere rather than take the subway. And I was walking all the way uptown, and I passed the Strand bookstore, which is my favorite bookstore in New York City, legendary bookstore, and popped in. And sure enough, uh, saw my paperback in there, even though it doesn't be on sale. Date isn't for a couple days, so that was really cool. I'm glad to see that it's getting out. Uh, my publisher informed me that Barnes & Noble is going to give it uh, some good placement right up front in the stores, but I'll believe that when I see it, <laughs> that's what they say. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, hopefully, that's the case. So, if you've enjoyed the content that I've been providing you, if you've gotten something out of it, if you've been inspired or been informed, this is the time that I'm asking you to please uh, do me a solid, pick up the paperback, get it for a gift for somebody Um, I'm really, uh, trying to get the word out. So tell a friend, tell a friend about the book, tell a friend about the podcast. And, uh, I owe you big time. All right. Enough with the hard sell. I think I've said enough and beyond. Um, one thing that I did want to mention before we get into the episode is, uh, my buddy, John Hirsch, who is a Professional triathlete living here in New York City. He's a great guy. I've gotten to know him a couple, uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I got to know him initially at Brett Blankner's zen triathlon uh, training camp. Um, he has he's he's also a coach and he runs a, a team here in New York City called Team Continuum. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, it's at www.teamcontinuum.net And continuum is spelled C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M he uh has some entries for uh, a couple of the premier triathlon races on the circuit the most uh blah 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 prestigious races the uh 2013 ironman lake placid uh race and the new york city triathlon and he's got entries for that so if you're interested in participating in those races which i'm sure are sold out already um you can check out team continuum and uh They will provide you with one-on-one coaching. And if you know me, you know how much I believe in one-on-one coaching. Uh, You'll get coached by John himself, a top pro triathlete and coach. And uh, you'll get a kit and you'll get a weekend full of awesome activities for the team. So uh, they have some fundraising goals that they want you to meet in exchange for that. Uh, I think it's $1,500 for the New York City Triathlon and $2,500 if you're going to do the Ironman. Uh, But you'll race knowing that you help people uh, with their direct needs as they battle cancer. So check it out. John's a great guy. He's a great coach. Those are two great races. It's pretty much a win-win-win. So go to uh, teamcontinuum.net to find out more. Uh, and if you have any specific questions you can't find there, you can email lisa at teamcontinuum.net. Uh, so enough for that. Um, what else? Let's get into Mishka. Uh, if you didn't listen to my previous interview with Mishka, he is a recovering alcoholic like myself. He's a writer like myself. He wrote the number one Kindle single called The Long Run. He also wrote one called Shipwrecked and a couple other there's uh, others other kindle singles which are great short reads which you should check out you can just pick them up on amazon um he's also hosted at at the moth which is uh, a personal favorite of mine listening to uh, spoken word from the moth and just an overall uh inquisitive interesting compelling uh character (laughs) and thanks mishka for picking me up at the airport the other day or code rich roll 25 So let's get into it, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and there'll be more coming from me from New York City later in the week. Enjoy. Mishka Shabali. I'm walking down the southern street get to the river for a run too low Southern Street. To the
1: river what are we gonna to talk about? Um, do I get to do the intro today because I'm doing the interviewing? You can do,
0: yeah, you can do that. Um, you can do whatever. you... Hey, this is your show. You right. know, I'm just, I'm just a guest today, so.
1: I, I mean, I have a couple of different intros that I've prepared.
0: Oh, you prepared? That's so, scared. <laughs> that's that's frightening, actually.
1: So I can do. Uh, uh, hey, welcome back to the Rich Roll podcast. I'm Rich Roll. I'm an author of the number one best-selling "Finding Ultra." I'm a This is plant- already
0: going <laughs> south. Man.
1: I'm a plant-based nutrition advocate. I'm a, uh, puck. an ultra-distance endurance triathlete. Something um, like that. Happily married man, father of four, recovering attorney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I hit all the bases I think there? that's it. Yeah, shorter is <laughs> <shorter's> better, dude. <laughs> well, then the alternate one is, um, you know, uh, welcome, to, welcome to counterpoint, hard-hitting journalism with Mishka Shabali. Right. Uh, we're going to be looking at the seedy underbelly of the ultra-distance triathlete world, uh, a mm-hmm. searing expose on Rich Roll. Who is he and is that really his name?
0: Now I'm really scared. <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, this is retribution, isn't it?
1: <laughs> this episode will be called The Big Payback. Yeah. Oh, man.
0: I, I, are you, you're making me already regret doing this.
1: <laughs> well, my my theory is to front end load the regret, to get the re, as much regret out at the beginning. And then at the end, when it's not so bad, you'll be like, oh, man, I got off easy. That's your idea. We'll <laughs> see how that goes. That's how I'm selling it. That's yeah. the uh, that's the <laughs> marketing pitch. All right, man. Come at me. Um, well, one of the... I mean, as a, as a fellow Amazon author and as somebody who has put their private life in the public sphere, um, you know, a big question for me is how you deal with those one-star reviews. I mean, I think for... I think for an aspiring author, that kind of thing is so intimidating because people, you know, people take you to task, not just for what you've written or for what you you know, is in your book, but like what your hair looked like that day or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you really did come out of the gate with the, <laughs> the hard, the the nerve splitting, you know, question. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's the first time that I had done something on a real public scale uh, where you're open to, you know, that kind of criticism from people. And I guess I would first say that the book got like over it has like over three hundred Amazon reviews and, you know, they're overwhelmingly positive. You know, there's like two hundred and ninety of them or whatever are five star or something like that. So I'm not complaining. You
1: the, know? Well the thing and is I, though is the, the nature of the human brain though is the we don't we have a tendency to de-emphasize the positive stuff and then the negative stuff really sticks in oh the
0: crowd. of course you go right to the one star reviews and you read those and then you walk around all day thinking about that and grinding your teeth over you know what that guy did you know he didn't understand or whatever um, yeah it's and it, and it, and also it's not like you put out an album that was just an expression and people didn't like it or they liked it like it's what you said it's you're exposing your life you know so it's not they're not they're not just judging the book they're judging you as a human being so it definitely cuts close to the nerve and i knew that going in you know i remember and i've told this story before i can't remember if i uh, if we talked about it last time we talked but you know, when I first turned in the manuscript, I was like, oh my God, like, am I sure I want to do this? Like, is this the right thing? Like, it's scary. And it's a very vulnerable feeling. And and uh, you know, it goes with the territory. It's like, hey, you're great. You're writing a book. And then here you deliver it. Um, It's part of the package. So, I accept that and I welcome it. And I actually have no problem whatsoever with Criticism—if people didn't like the book—or and and some of the some of the criticism—we can get into that a little bit. Um, I go, ah, fair point. You know, I could see that. Like, you know, I could see that objectively. Uh, but when they sort of started to take your life to task and and uh, judge you as a human being, that's a, that's a little bit different. And it's it's hard. You know, it's hard to block that out. It, I, I'd be lying if I said it didn't affect me emotionally because it definitely does.
1: Well, you know, one. One point that I would make on that is that when I read a one star review of my stuff, I you know, a point I made to someone when I was, you know, griping about it is if I was a fiction author, it would be a criticism of my book and that would be easier to to take. You know, I can handle criticism of my writing, but it's a lot harder when it's criticism of your life, especially when you've when you've worked really hard to do an unsparing, unflinching evaluation of your faults for the you know strangers in the world mm-hmm. at all but it was pointed out to me that though the one star reviewers feel that they're re- reviewing your life they're still just reviewing your writing
0: yeah i guess i mean
1: it doesn't feel like that being well, on first the receiving all- end but it's you know that's the truth is that they are they're reviewing the words that you wrote you know and i share that you know less for you than um You know, for other aspiring writers who, you know, may have read Mm -hmm. your stuff and think, man, that was a great book, but no way am I ever going to open myself up to that.
0: Right. I mean, I think you you make this sort of choice to be vulnerable and say, here are the here's the dark side of me, here's the part of me I'm not proud of, here are the mistakes that I made. And then to get a one-star review where somebody's criticizing you for having those traits or expressing them when you're the one who's calling yourself out on that is a little bit that's an interesting thing. But I think also what you have to bear in mind is there's also a lot of transference. Like somebody's really, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're talking more about themselves and where they are and where they're coming from and what's going on with their life than they are just as much as they are sort of, you know, levying judgment on your life. You know what
1: I mean? I, oh, I totally agree. I mean, my, you know, I, the analogy that I always make is when you're, you, when you write about your own life, it's the equivalent of. Standing naked in front of a crowd of strangers, and mm. I, I I feel like that's a good faith gesture that you're making that you're going to say I'm going I'm to stand here naked in front of you in all my deformity, you know. And if there's somebody who says, "Oh man, that dude could really use you know use to lose five pounds or something," you know, that's on you, man. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, right. I mean, you know, you would hope that somebody would applaud your courage for saying, you know, I'm going to kind of step out and, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit on this. And, you know, not everybody does that. But I think that you, you know, you've said that originally when you were writing The Long Run that you didn't think anybody would be interested in that kind of a story. And, and, you know, what a surprise to you it was to find out that you were wrong. So, the majority of the people, you know, really can kind of tap into that kind of thing emotionally. There's just, there's always going to be the outliers who, who don't like it or, or, you know, whatever, it's fine. And, you know, I struggle with it. I mean, you'll read people, you know, there's sort of these life coach kind of people on the Internet or, or otherwise, and, you know sort of these people that hold, hold themselves out to be, you know, inspirational, motivational speaker kind of people. And they'll say, you know, you got to embrace your haters, you know, you got to embrace your haters and love them. And like, you know, I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I also, it's like we're talking, you know, like between you and I, it's on a pretty small stage, compa- you know, compared to somebody who's really in the public spotlight who has to deal with that, you know, as as a daily aspect of their life. Like the amount of kind of Teflon shield that you have to walk around with. Like I can't imagine that.
1: I, I remember the day after, uh, you know, Britney Spears shaved her head and was like attacking her car with an umbrella and stuff like that, and 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 my heart went out to her because I was like, Britney, if. <laughs> If you can be such a mess that you elicit sympathy in the heart of, like, an anonymous druggie, you've really made a mess of your
0: life. <laughs> yeah. Well, we live in this culture, too, where everything is so instantaneous. And, and you know, talking about pulling the curtain back or, or you know, the, removing the veil on celebrity, like, you know, everybody's got a cell phone and you know, people are fallible and make mistakes. And, and, you know, we hold people up to a certain standard and love to see them kind of fall from that podium a little bit. And that's what, you know, why TMZ is on every night and and that kind of thing. You know, we like to sort of revel and celebrate in those, those foibles. That's just, you know, kind of what our you know, that's a big part of our culture. So yeah, we have you have the, to the accept culture. it. If you put, you try, I mean, you can't engage it really, you know, you got to just sort of accept it and move on. And, it, and, it, and I think it forces you to look within yourself and say, well, you know, like, I'll, you know, if I'm not feeling particularly spiritually fit, you know, I'll get resentful and I want to lash out or get into some kind of dialogue with somebody online about this and that. And that's a, that's a no win situation. You know what I mean? But when I'm feeling good about myself, then, you know, it's like, eh, whatever, move on. Like, I know who I am and and they want to feel that way and think that way, you know, that's their prerogative and they're entitled to that. So, <clears throat> but I think it is that it's that di- drawing that differentiation between the work and the life, you know, like what is the writing and what is the personal attack?
1: Yeah, a, a, a huge thing is perspective as well. I mean, especially, you, you know, it's, you can say that, we live in a culture of lowest common denominator, but that's sort of TV culture, and there is a whole bigger culture than that. And and you know to look, and, and I do this, and I think other people do this in their lives as well. Is that you know the the negative thing gets blown way out of proportion, and the the reality is that far more, um, far far you know, far more people have seen you know have been witness to your story and see themselves in your shortcomings and your failings and um and the admirable thing is for a lot of us is less the 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 distance that you've traveled in the in the races but the distance that you've traveled in your head and the the you know more the courage it takes for you to take on uh your biggest obstacle uh, who is Rich Roll? Than it <laughs> is to take, my take on the, the, the Epic Five. Yeah. You know? it's the Epic One. <laughs> yeah, ex-
0: yeah, r- exactly. Right. You know, um, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I had a great point I was going to make that just eluded me right now.
1: Oh yeah, I was going to say. Um, what did I say about Rich Roll being what, your biggest? Yeah, album. yeah. That that
0: threw me off of my <laughs> thinking. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I I uh, I don't know what came over me, but. I decided I was gonna tweet my favorite one star review of my book.
1: That's awesome. Is, I totally is like, support that.
0: And then that, right after I did it, I was like, why did I do that? But it was it's so classic. Like the the headline or the sort of tagline for the review on Amazon, I'll put it in the show notes because I can't resist. But it was like this is a great book, but only if you're George W. Bush. And the guy went on to this sort of like point by point, you know, analysis of Uh, of, you know, why he found me so distasteful as a human being, which was, (laughs) I read it out loud to my boys, you know, and they were like (laughs) laughing. They were like, they thought it was hilarious. And so it's like, I'm okay with that. You know, like, I'm like, all right, he's, you know, and the guy, it was long, right? The guy actually took a lot of time to like write that thing. Like he took time out of his day to do that. And, you know, personally, I've never gone online to write a negative review of anything. I'm also not going online and writing a lot of positive reviews about a lot of stuff either. Like I just try to remain neutral on that stuff generally.
1: I, I mean I, I would leave Hitler a negative review. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I, I would I would be brutal with him on Yelp. Yeah, on <laughs> you <know>? Yelp, right. <laughs> but um that's that's the thing when somebody devotes the time and energy to write a thousand word mon, you know, sort of manifesto uh about what a, a crappy person you are. Not just a bad writer, but like a, a lousy human being you got to wonder what else is going on in their life
0: well that's why I said you know there's a lot of transference going on you know, and I think that's true um, you know the uh the you know you can't you know, as a creative person, as a human being, as an artist or, or what have you, you can't believe the, the you know, the, all the positive stuff and you can't believe the negative stuff. You know what I mean? You just yeah. have to be – you kind of have to immunize yourself from that. That being said, you know, yeah, there's some low blows in some of those one-star reviews. But there was a couple things that I read. There, there was a consistent theme in, in the kind of, you know, lower-ranked reviews of my book, which was that um, – I was advertising products like throughout the book.
1: Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> and uh
0: <clears throat> and you know what? Like I'm like, you know what? That's legit. That's a legitimate critique. That's a legitimate criticism and had I had the opportunity to rewrite the book or do it again, I would have not have put in all those parentheticals about like, hey, if you want it, you can check out my protein powder or whatever. Like huh. they 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 took they 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 took people out of the narrative and it came off like a sales pitch and that was not my intention but i can see why people came away with that and and because you know there were more than a few people that raised that point it's like all right i see that like you know i shouldn't have done that you know and it and it wasn't my intention to like be trying to kind of like hard sell my products or whatever. I was trying to be like, here's a, here's a roadmap to how I did it. And then, you know, if there's a reference, like, Hey, if you want to learn more about this, this is what I did. And here's the link. Um, I should have just pushed all that stuff into the back, into the appendix and just tell the story. Like, you know, so I get that. I'm fine. And I'm fine with people pointing that out.
1: What? I mean, Rich, I got to say that it's like, it's great for you, for you to, to come out and say that. I mean, I think, we, I, I do think we live in a world where uh, apology is forbidden. <laughs> you know that <laughs> it's, it we it the only way you can say you made a mistake is if you're caught doing something and it, and then you go away to some rehab for thirty days and you come back and you're. Uh, you know, yep. you've well, been you, redeemed. And you hire
0: whatever. a really good publicist. Exactly,
1: exactly. But it's another thing <laughs> else. It, it's, a, it's a different thing to come forward and say, I did this thing. I thought it was going to work. I've gotten negative feedback from from voices I value. It was a mistake. It was an error in judgment. I, if I had it to do over, I would do it differently. Oh, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, and I agree with your critics that, for you know, for me as a reader, the experience of reading the book was frequently interrupted and And the worst thing for me was that I was like, "Man, this is a really good story, and these little parentheticals aren't are, are harming the story, and, yeah. and the story is what I care about the most. yeah
0: know? And look, it's the first book I've ever written, and you know I happen to have a really good <laughs> editor, and and for the most part, he you know my editor at Crown really helped me improve the book. But I also feel like it was sort of incumbent upon him to kind of say, you know, as somebody who does that for a living to say, hey, you're a first time writer, like you you probably don't want to do this here. Like that might not be a good idea, but like nobody ever pointed it out to me. And it was like, uh, yeah, I didn't do, you know, I should have done it differently.
1: So, you know, that's all. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's about, that's all I have to say in rebuttal. I think it's great to, for someone to be able to admit a mistake in a public forum. I mean, I, I go back and I read the long run and I'm like, I can't believe people bought this. <laughs> you know, like, just, can I have it back for a day to work on it? And then I'll give it back to you. Right. But, you know, I look at it and it's like, man, can't you
0: do that now with Kindle singles? Like you could actually update it and then people's Kindles get updated automatically.
1: Yeah. I actually, I have an alternate ending. I want to work into where, where like a Jedi X-wing fighter comes down, <laughs> picks me and Luis up and then we,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah, you, you well, can't I was just reading and, on
0: the plane. I was reading uh, Vanity Fair magazine about the perils of uh, world war Z and all these problems they had making, this movie and how they basically started shooting before they decided what the third act was you know so it's sort of like that you can bring in a new third act completely change the ending but it's like you don't even have to like somebody who's already bought it and has it on their kindle like the next time they open it it'll just be there right isn't that how it works
1: yeah and i and i fear that because i think that for for you know for a control freak author like myself the tendency is to oh, go Oh you just be working
0: and, on it all the time. Uh, oh yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll I mean re- could you
0: imagine if a musician could constantly be like retooling a song and then every time somebody played the MP3 on their iTunes it would be a different version?
1: Oh yeah, that would suck cuz w- cuz as readers and as listeners <clears> what we love is the imperfections. What we love is the stuff that the artist goes back to and think, "Oh man, I got to take that part out." You know, and it's no, that's the, where it's slow there and then it speeds up as the best part of the song, you know.
0: And I also think that, you know, I don't know how much people really realize or understand this, that you're never really you're never really done with something. You just basically decide you're not going to work on it anymore or there's no you know, it's time to work on something else. So it's like when you're when you turn your book into the publisher or you publish your Kindle single or you record an album or whatever it is it's never done or, or a movie, you know, a movie's never done. They just run out of time to continue to work on it and edit it and time's up. So they put it out. But so you're always going to look back on your work. And I certainly do with my book and go, why did I say that? Or I should have changed that. Or I, you know what, this would have been a lot better if I'd done this and that. And you just, you know, you learn from it and you know, it's good that you can look at the long run and kind of, go, uh, you know, like, I don't like that or this, it shows that you're still interested in growing as an artist and as a writer. And that will just be expressed in your next work.
1: Yeah, I think, it, I think that that keeps you moving forward as a writer when you can look at an older work and reflect on it and say, Oh, man, I, I would do this totally differently. Or this, this isn't the t- type of storytelling I want to do at all. Or, you know, and that'll, mm-hmm. it, it fuels, you know, further projects,
0: right? You know, Yeah. if you look at it, and you go, that was awesome. I wouldn't change a word. Well, you know, then are you really are you growing?
1: Yeah, you know? if you're high fiving yourself, then it's not necessarily a right. forward motion. Right. But I mean, I think you know, you and I are both in, in similar situations here. So we're sort of uh, our first big thing. You know, the first like step out into uh, into the spotlight or whatever. And, you know, and your first book and then my first exposure. Um, you get some things wrong. And, you know, and there's a lot that you want to change and you it, the learning curve is really steep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: And plus, I didn't think anyone was going to read my book. I don't know about <laughs> you, but. <laughs> are,
1: are you more relieved that people read it or would you be more relieved if no one had?
0: If no one had, maybe I'd be relieved, but I'd also be horribly depressed. <laughs> So I'll take I'll take uh, less relief and and less depression.
1: That's good. That's good. You know.
0: All right. So what else didn't you like? (laughs) Come
1: on, let's get it all out. Do you want to you want to get it all out of the front, or I figured I was going to sprinkle it it through? Like, hey man, it's your show. (laughs) Yes. Again, welcome to the ritual show. That's right. Um.
0: When are you starting your podcast? There were some people on Twitter that were like, "When are you doing a podcast?"
1: Rich, look around. Once this room gets clean, then we can talk about other projects.
0: You don't have you don't have to have a clean room to do a podcast. I
1: don't don't tell me yeah. that though. I'm already in danger of like uh, death by hoarderification, where like no. one of these shelves of guitars is just going to topple over on me.
0: And no, uh, man. you're just you're just a Brooklyn writer, musician, artist. This,
1: I like to think of this. You as... You got as some
0: a, crazy shit on your walls in here, though. I'll tell you <laughs> that.
1: Don't look too closely. <laughs> 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 one. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is I feel like reading Finding Ultra, we see you not just going on one path and then taking a steep right turn. You seem to be reinventing yourself. Uh, there like there are several transformations over the course of the book. Um, you know, I mean it, you, there seems to be a big change that takes place in your life when you discover swimming and that that, that that's something that you're good at and then another change when you discover alcohol and then obviously another change when you undiscover alcohol when mm-hmm. you get that out of your life and then another transformation when um you know when you realize you're 40 you're overweight you're out of shape um are is there another transformation in the pipeline
0: hmm You characterize them as transformations. When you you describe that, I'm thinking it's a series of of going from one obsession to the next. (laughs) You know, like transferring obsessions along the way. Uh, But I guess transformation is a better word. Um, Yeah, I hope so. Listen, you know, um, one of the things that I learned, the first things I learned in recovery that I think about a lot uh, is this idea of, you know, progress and regression. Like we have this idea that, you know, if things are going good, you can kind of cruise or that your life is static, you know, and that it's not, nothing is ever that way. You're either moving towards recovery or greater recovery or growth, or you're regressing and moving towards relapse or, your life is devolving. You know, it's a very elastic thing that is constantly in motion at all times. And I have to always kind of bear that in mind because I want to just cruise, you know? Um, and I have to push myself to continue to expand and grow um, because my kind of default setting is to devolve. You know what I mean? If left to my yeah. own devices. and uh, And I try to be forward thinking about what I'm doing, but also be open, you know, and not try to plot the course too thoroughly ahead. So now, and I'll keep this a little bit short because I talked about this with Osher last night a little bit, but, you know, people keep saying to me, well, when's your next race and what are you training for? And, you know, what's the next big thing? And I I certainly want a race and I want a challenge. And even you pick me up at the airport and we were talking about that on the way over here. And my life has become gratefully has become a lot more busy, uh, you know, as a result of the book and the things that kind of revolve around that. And it's it's really kind of shifting my interests and my priorities. Like, I still want to race and be relevant and push myself and see what I'm capable of, for sure. And I love that. And I love the daily training. You know, I love the I love being in the process of doing that and I actually need it to ground me. But now, like, that kind of energy... And enthusiasm, that really like laser focus that I had to like prepare for Ultraman or, or, or Epic Five, that shifted a little bit away from racing and performance and onto how can I take this message, you know, to the next level? Like, what is a way that I can sort of step up what I'm doing to help more people that I'm currently helping, you know, and that's where the satisfaction comes from that's the growth opportunity that's the challenge so that kind of next obsession if you will or transformation is to find a way to be of you know greater service mm-hmm. and and so unfortunately that doesn't necessarily allow me to go out and train as much as I would like you know and also you know, I, I, I want to be, you know, I'm there for, I want to be there for my kids and my, my girls that are, are at a tender age right now. My teenage boys are getting ready for the next phase of their life. And, you know, it's kind of a key time in their development. And, you know, I don't want to miss that, (laughs) you know, like I'm, 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 you know, I'm showing up and present for that at the same time. So I'm juggling all these different things. And, and again and i say it all the time like balance is my final frontier i'm always trying to get that mix of how i can make everything work and fit and you know i'm constantly failing and you know going back to the drawing board on that um and so you know the 25 hour training week is is you know not as feasible as it was a couple years ago when my life looked a little bit different than it does now and that's fine To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
1: You know, part of me is, part of me is sad because I keep turning over this idea in my head of you and I doing our first hundred mile race together. And I feel like that'll happen. I feel like that is the, uh, uh, late 30s, early 40s, sober version of the wild and crazy uh, road trip yeah. to Cancun or something. We can make that. Ha- we can.
0: We can make that happen. I mean, the one thing that I have done is that I've kind of reconfigured my training to be much more running focused. The cycling is what takes up, you know, the 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 large percentage of the time. So many hours on the bike. So I'm spending less time cycling, more time running. And, uh, and, you know, I've been traveling a lot so, and that's something I can, I know I can always do and it's easy, you know, it's easy to do wherever you go. So I'm more focused on like the ultra running than on the, you know, the, the, the cycling and the triathlon. So we'll, we'll make that happen. I just, the,
1: great. I so got to pull the trigger on a race. So you, so you're basically declaring now while we're on the air <laughs> that you're going to run a hundred miler with me. I Correct. need a little time to get ready.
0: <laughs> as long as there's a sufficient prep window, uh, you know, I think you can count me in. Right. And I'm going to have my first, you know, legitimate ultra running experience because I'm going to crew for Dean Karnazes at Badwater awesome. this year in awesome. July. Uh, and that so, will be
1: trial by fire.
0: Well, it's going to be cool because I'm there just to help. You know, I'm not racing. I'm there to help him. Um, but it'll give me that, you know, experience of of what that race is like and kind of what you know, a running race of that distance entails, which, you know, yeah, I've done Ultraman and Epic Five, but I I've never participated in anything like that. That's a completely different animal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh it's you know, to hear your answer that that your that your life has become that that you welcome the complexity that has come with becoming a best selling author, but that, you know, you can't do as much uh training and time on the bike as uh, as you had been in, as you enjoy doing totally resonates with me because there was a point in my life where I had a girlfriend who was saying like, Oh, all you care about is running. Like you just do it all the time. And I was like, all right, well really how much time is spent running? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, the weekends are pretty much totally shot. And then, you know, like, uh, between five and 10 hours during the week. So basically the same amount of time I was losing to drinking.
0: Right. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And except without the hungover part where you, you're discounting that aspect of it where you're just kind of checked out of everything for, you know, two days or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Watching uh, watching the early Bill Murray's uh, classics on VHS <laughs> right. over and over again. Right, right. I
0: mean, you know, yeah, I, I think that, you know, listen, when you – you know, when you're kind of at your bottom with drinking and drugs, like your life's real small, right? Your life revolves around like, you know, in my case, it was a bare mattress on the floor of a essentially an empty apartment and teetering on, you know, unemployment and homelessness and the phone wasn't ringing. You and know? also and
1: just malnutrition, like like rickets, <laughs> things that have been yeah. cured, <laughs> like scurvy. The doctor's like, I haven't seen this since 1875. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah and uh and
1: then Trench you get foot. <laughs> then you get sober and your life gets
0: big you know yeah, what i mean and yeah. and that's that's a beautiful thing and as it continues to get bigger and bigger it's easy to lose sight of what allowed it to get big and you always have to kind of remember you know and and you know kind of be in touch with you know how you got to that place and so i guess the point i'm making is you know my life continues to expand and i welcome that even if it you know becomes more complicated and tricky um But, you know, you have as a, you know, as an alcoholic, you have these sort of alcoholic fantasies and they used to be, they used to be, you know, sort of, hey, I want to isolate myself in a hotel room in Vegas, you know, and, and have nobody talk to me for, you know, whatever,
1: like the the downward,
0: for example, for example, yeah, for example, the movie Leaving Las Vegas. You've seen that movie, right? It's the when, alcoholic anthem. When,
1: when he goes shopping, when he's in the liquor store, I, was like, I, I got a boner.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> see, that, that. this is my point. Like, most people see that movie and they're absolutely horrified and they're like, I don't understand. You and it's like, like pornography. How terrible. Like, and I watch it and I'm like, he's just having a good time like like I'm right there with him and I'm like I could see myself doing that yeah I'm just watching it like riveted to like what's he gonna do now I was like oh yeah I, I can do that I could do, I could see myself doing that um and then you get sober and like kind of those that kind of alcoholic fantasy starts to fade a little bit um, and it's re- but now as being an athlete it's replaced with this Sort of fantasy of like living in a living in a shed in the woods, Ted Kaczynski style with just my bike and my running shoes and just going out and training all day and never talking to anybody and isolating into that, you know, into that zone, which is equally on, you know, maybe not equally, but, you know, that's not a healthy life either. That's a small life, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I started talking last time about alcoholic behavior, you know, be addictive behavior that doesn't involve uh an illicit substance. And then I was going back and looking at finding ultra again, and there are you know, there are times there where you're just sort of like living on the bike. And uh I was like, Oh yeah, he Rich is doing it too. I, I know I do it in parts, but it was it was eye opening for me because I missed that the first time around. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was only you drawing my attention to to sober alcoholic behavior that then I could see, um, you know, that you had that that a similar level of obsession, like you know, like a drinker, like squirreling um,
0: alcohol. Yeah. Away. I mean, you you can engage in a whole variety, an endless variety of behaviors that are alcoholic in nature without drinking or using drugs. You know, so sobriety now is about keeping that in check and you know being aware of when things are out of balance in that regard.
1: That's, that's a big tricky one, man. Cause um, I feel like I've been having a dialogue with you in my head since we did the last podcast about addiction and alcoholic behavior and what's healthy and what's unhealthy and stability and stuff like that. And I, th- I totally thought myself into a rabbit hole the other night where I was just thinking like, Oh, is it that, Doing anything that I want to do that I enjoy doing is that alcoholic behavior that like, if I, anything that makes me feel good, is that an addictive behavior? And no, I think um,
0: that the, the litmus test or the barometer of that is, you know, is it, is it, is it impacting other areas of your life in a negative way? Like, is it, is it interfering with your relationships? Is it derailing other things, you know, in your life that's undermining the overall quality of how you live?
1: Yeah. Right. A uh after I quit drinking a, a bandmate came to me and he was like, "Oh, it's great that you quit drinking and stuff." And I was like, "Well, it's okay."
0: <laughs> and uh it's okay and, if you never want to have fun again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was I was in that phase. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, "You know, should I quit drinking?" And I and uh I was like, "Well, is it cause, causing problems with your girlfriend? And he was like, no. And I, I was like, is it causing problems at work? And he was like, no. And I was like, do you still enjoy it? Like when you have a drink and, and like the bad things happen. And he was like, no, I, I, I have a blast and like, it's fine. You know, I was like, quit wasting my time, man. Right. <laughs> you know, like have, have fun, you know, but also
0: there's something behind that because why would he ask you that question? You know what I mean? Maybe it, exactly. there's more going on yeah. than he wanted to admit to you or or whatever. But yeah I mean you know people say that things like that to me, and I'm like you gotta you have to diagnose yourself, man. I can't diagnose you,
1: you know well, I'm really glad you're bringing that up because I think that you and I both get probably get a bunch of you know emails, facebook messages twitter am i am I leaving out any other social media that people reach uh, out through instagram Instagram pinterest pinterest
0: <laughs> are you on pinterest maybe <laughs> I don't. I want. I'm going to come and visit your pins.
1: I I don't have a problem with it, Rich. Yeah, I'm on there. <laughs> I can quit anytime I want. Yeah? Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, so you probably get a lot of the same emails and messages that I do, which you know of people who have found that they're in trouble in their life. You know, whether it's with alcohol or substances or or food, mm-hmm. um, anorexia, bulimia, overeating, and. They they want to change or they say they want to change and they ask you for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I I suspect you probably have a similar response to that that I do where you don't know what to do. Because mm-hmm. um, I want to help everybody, man. I, like I want to, I'll save everybody if I can, but. I'm just a dude. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an addiction counselor. I'm not a therapist. I obviously still have tons of shit to figure out in my own life
0: but that doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to help somebody else that's asking for your help
1: it's true and i and I do try to help people and you know I give them all the caveats of my my list of zero qualifications and then you know try and say, well, from what you've told me, I think you know that this this might be able to help you but the, the larger question for, for which I want to burden you with is how do we know when someone is actually ready to change when they're ready to, to quit um, to quit drinking or quit drugging or um, combat their food addiction or just change anything you know I mean how, how do we how do you recognize that like that crystal moment where you have that clarity where you're like recognize it on somebody with it? else? Yeah, or or how? I mean, how can can you and I talk about it so that other people can reckon can say, oh, you know, I I recognize that in myself. I am now ready to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect you to actually answer. Yeah, this, no. But. Well, I think
0: that I think that uh, you know, if somebody is seeks out your advice or counsel and is asking for help, you can guide them in the best direction that you you know feel like you can. And then you have to kind of detach from the results. And whether somebody or not somebody is willing to change or not will be reflected in the subsequent actions taken, not in whatever words come out of their mouth. Right. So if somebody says, you know, I, I really want to change my diet, and then you say, Okay, well, why don't you read this book or watch this documentary or, you know, start your day off with a green smoothie. And then they email you two weeks later and they didn't do any of those things. And they say, I really want to change. And I'm like, all right, well, I gave you, you know, five or six things to do, but you didn't do them. So are you, you know, maybe you're not really, willing. maybe you need to go further down and maybe you need to suffer a little bit more before you have that willingness. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? But the point being that it's, it's the actions that reveal where somebody's at far more than, you know, the words coming out of their mouth.
1: Yeah and and you've you've seen it from both sides because it's you know it sounds like you went to rehab uh totally kicking and screaming and then oh, yeah. your you know your the awareness of the the garbage you were putting into your body um and um the decision to change was totally uh self-started
0: It was self-started but that was on the heels of you know a lot of other stuff that preceded that you know <clears throat> For a long time, uh, Julie, you know, who was, who had always eaten like just in the context of food, I guess, Julie, had, you know, had always eaten way, you know, way healthy compared to me. And, you know, she's always, she's this spiritual seeker and she's always reading this book and that book about, you know, how to expand your consciousness. And she's, she's practicing yoga and she's meditating and doing all of these things that, I wasn't doing. And I think she had some frustration, you know, she'll say, I could see a better version of you inside of you that you couldn't see. And she was trying to facilitate that coming out. And she'd say, why don't you read this book? And she'd put it on my bedstand, or why don't you do this? Or, you know, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I wouldn't do it. You know, like I wasn't ready. I didn't have the willingness. And she had an attachment to a result. You know, she thought if I give him this book and he reads it, then he'll change. And it was never like a nagging pressure thing. She just kind of, you know, wanted, she could see that things could be better if I could just take her hand, you know, but I didn't want to take her hand. And then she got to a place in her own kind of spiritual journey where she really like let go of all of it. She let go of all expectations that I was going to change. And she just said, she made peace with it and said, I love him the way he is. No matter what, I don't need him to lose weight. I don't need him to eat differently than he's doing. I don't need him to do anything different. I accept him completely. And she let it go. And she didn't just give it lip service. Like, she really did let it go. Like, and that's when I started to change, you know. And and it's because, and I think she never announced to me any of this. This is, she's told me this in retrospect, that this is what was going on with her. And I think, you know, I wasn't consciously aware that she was doing it, but on an unconscious level, I could tell, um, like, when she kind of decoupled from it, then it was like, oh, it's on me. Like, she's not telling, you know, because there's always that resistance, like, somebody wants me to change, so I'm like, no, I'm not going to change, screw you, I'm going to do it my way. And then when, then when that was gone, then it's sort of like, my reflection in the mirror became a little bit more crystal clear, and I was like, oh, wait, like, she's not bugging me to do that anymore, like... You mean I have to take responsibility for this? And then that was when, you know, I was, I started the process of becoming ready to, you know, take stock a little bit more than I had.
1: It, if I ever get to meet Julie, I'm going to like wash her car. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because
0: Actually, the car needs washing.
1: <laughs> Not your car, her car. No, <laughs> her car. Whenever, whenever you, I mean, uh, <laughs> whenever you talk about her or write about her, it's, uh, it's awesome because you can really see that, you know, in a lot of ways she was your sort of North star, you know, that she was. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, you know, she was a, a, very much the point of reference and a, like, oh, th- things could be different. Um, and it's funny because you describe the way in which she um, uh, checked out or, or surrendered or, or sort of released you in, in a very positive uh, light. Mm-hmm. And, after the last time we spoke i was thinking a little bit about what you know sort of set the stage for um for me making the decision to quit drinking and for me it was people releasing me in a much more negative light <laughs> yeah where people just well i've had that too and it and there it wasn't like dramatics of like oh if you don't do this then I'm going to leave or we're going to kick you out of the band or we're going to fire you or whatever. People just wrote me off in their minds Mm -hmm. as that's who he is. You know, he's an animal. Leave him alone And and just leave him to his pursuit of devolution. Right. And... That was really scary. Well, that's almost, then I was just that's almost all alone.
0: Yeah, that's almost worse because if somebody's going to r- come at you in a rageful way, then there's that's backed by emotion. You know that that's backed by uh, somebody who has some kind of investment in you being different. But when people are just like whatever, dude, you know, then then you're then you're really by yourself,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And when when people started making the death watch jokes. When, where it was, it was just a betting pool. As like, well, does he have six months? Does he have a year? Does he have ten oh, years? Oh wow, that's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Uh, I I don't want to die, man. <laughs> yeah, especially now. You know. Um,
0: how is it? Uh, how is it different now than it was? You know, in the early stages of sobriety for you now, like what's changed in terms of how you approach? You know, your life or not drinking.
1: I mean, in, in the first six or eight months, um, I was in shock and awe that I could do it at all. And then, and also I was starting to run and starting to rack up my mileage. And I was like, oh man, this like tired old body can actually do this. This is interesting. Um, I was also just enraged all the time and painfully awkward around people. Cause I didn't know how to, didn't know how to string a sentence together without a beer. Mm-hmm. And, uh. It was just—it was a novelty. It was like, oh, this here's this weird thing that I'm doing. Let's see how long it lasts. And I and I I couldn't bear to tell anyone that I'd quit drinking. It was just people noticed that I wasn't drunk. Uh, I couldn't bear to tell anyone that I was an alcoholic, and I couldn't bear to tell anybody that I was quitting drinking for good. Um, I I actually I told some drinking buddies that uh, I was just going to quit drinking until I was seventy. And no, this is good. It was whatever you have to do to make sense. Let's just stick
0: with getting through the
1: week. (laughs) How about that? Well, because to say forever, to say I'm never going to take another drink is terrifying when you're an alcoholic. And if I could, if I said to my, if I just removed that never and said I, I will be able to have a drink again at some undetermined point in my future. Um, but I think my dad's like 68 and he, he's still pretty spry, totally sharp. Um, he's got a lot of life ahead of him. He still schools me at the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70 too early now. I may have to bump it back like 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm. But why do you like, I don't think about that. You know, I don't, I don't think about like, you know, I'm never this or I'm never that or, you know, when I'm 70 this, I just focus on what I'm doing right now. And that makes it man more manageable.
1: I'm gonna turn around on you something that you said last time which is you're more spiritually evolved than I am
0: no that's not true <laughs> and let me be very clear like in case there's any confusion I am not putting myself on any kind of sobriety pedestal by any stretch of the imagination sobriety is very difficult for me and I've had you know, pitfalls and struggles with it. And it, it doesn't come easy to me. And I'm not like the guy who's working like, you know, the greatest program in the world. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can, but you know, I'm just, you know, I'm 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 a, I'm a worker among workers in that, in that world for sure. So I get uncomfortable when it turns to, you know, me sort of sitting here, like when there's like a you know this expectation that i'm going to pontificate upon sobriety from you know mount olympus or something because that's that's definitely not where i'm coming from
1: well no i mean i um i i i didn't say you have it dialed and i don't think you have it dialed because i think that the minute you think you have it dialed you're screwed Mm -hmm. um and i think you know I, i think you know this is a you know, people say, oh, you know, what are you quitting this week? Are you quitting sugar? Are you quitting caffeine? Oh, you're going to be a Mormon. You're going to like, and they sort of, you know, dig at me for that. And man, I'm just trying to get better, just get incrementally better, just a little bit better each time. I'm not shooting for perfection. And I think that if you're, if anyone is trying to to do anything, whether it's carpentry or sobriety or, you know, being a triathlete, if you're shooting for perfection, yeah, you're always going to fall short. You know, I think you always just want to like, just, just try and get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, um, I mean, I said, uh, you're more spiritually evolved both as a dig and totally seriously, because, and, and I do have a lot of respect for you because it's obvious that you have done, um, you know, sort of brutal self inventory and, and you spend a lot of time uh, doing your own homework on this of trying to get yourself better.
0: Yeah, but it's not a, you know, constant progression forward. It's, you know, one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, you know, it's oh, yeah. it's jig jagging, you know, all over the place. Yeah. So it's not like this smooth, you know parabolic curve upwards.
1: And I mean, and that's, that's one of the things I try and tell people is, you know, people are like, Oh, you know um, you stopped drinking you started running. Your life is great. And I was like, uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not it at all. Sobriety is always tricky, man. I mean, I think that as, as you get some time behind you, it, it gets easier without ever getting easy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it doesn't get easy. And, I think that people run into problems because they, you know, you sort of get sober and then you have this initial pink cloud and then, you know, life kind of moves on and it's, you know, you're, you know, life is not without its difficulties and problems. And it's like, Hey man, like what's going on? I got sober. Why is this happening to me? And, you know, well, you know, at least you get to navigate it without being drunk. And, and so, you know, my life is full of, you know complications and and problems but they tend my problems tend to be uh higher quality problems than they used to be you know what i mean it's like i'm not getting pulled over by the cops all the time and you know but i still have post-traumatic stress like every time there's a policeman behind me when i'm driving like i feel like you know i start to sweat and i get panicked i feel
1: like a criminal whenever i see a cop exactly um Yeah. There's, that's the thing is there's always work left to do. It's not about the destination.
0: (laughs) There is no destination. The work continues. You know, that's why, that's why I gave you a little bit of shit when you um, sent me that email and then you, then you subsequently wrote a blog post about how, you know, you graduated from therapy and I was like, (laughs) really, you're cured. Like, how does that work? Like, You know, I can't imagine graduating from any kind of process of self-discovery because, um, you know, we were talking earlier about like alcoholic behavior patterns. Like, you know, I'm always, you know, reeling in this behavior pattern or that behavior pattern and, you know, having to check myself here and there. And that will continue till the day I die. And hopefully I improve along the way and get better and start to, you know, develop a mastery over, um, you know, patterns that don't serve me or what have you, but I don't anticipate graduating from that or getting to any place where I feel like I've, I have complete mastery over everything. And so I was making light of it. I was, I was just, I was just giving you a hard time because I understand wh- where you were coming from in terms of, you know, what you were do- trying to achieve with your therapist.
1: No, but I, I mean, it's, it's absolutely something that we should talk about though, because I mean, I do think that, um, you know, um, Graduation may have been the wrong word choice, but um, you know, I mean, and the, the reason that my therapist made the decision to uh, I mean, if you say if, you know, the the technical term is discharge, but that sound mm-hmm. makes it sound like um, you are institutionalized, yeah, yeah, either yeah. something biological or something that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> neither one of which have good yeah. connotations. So right. I came up with the word graduated, but um,
0: matriculated, a <laughs> matriculated is when you go to. When you matriculate, is that graduate? No, that's when you you matriculate from from
1: college. Never Here's mind. where we're both going to yeah, be outed right, for mind. not being as smart as yeah. we think we are. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to look it up <laughs> later. The um, no, I mean the way that my therapist, my, the way my therapist put it is, um, you know, he said you, you met all the goals of the program, and, um, and you know, in that program, it has, um, you know, it works with people who um are sort of very base, non-functioning alcoholics. You know, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, when you came here, um, you had very few sober friends, you had very few friends you could trust. You spoke to almost no one in your family. Um, you know, almost every, you know, family or important relationship had been compromised by alcohol. You uh were working two nights in a week or two nights a week in a bar, um, no health insurance. And no, just no i mean you know we we talked about this like you know when you're when you're a drunk, your life is very it has a very finite limits, you know it's like you're living in uh the r v of the soul mm-hmm. and uh you know and he said, you've reversed everything you know that um you know now. The writing, my writing, the writing that I've done and writing about um, sobriety and recovery and getting myself better has been so successful that like I can sort of do anything from that now. Um, I have my relationship with my older sister, Tatiana. Is, it's not that it's returned to its former glory. It's better now than it's ever been. Like we never got along as kids the way that we get along now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tashina and I have always been, you know pretty good but um you know, but that's improved my situation you know my my relationship with my mother you know has always been she's always you know shown me unconditional love, but um we're we're much better friends now, my dad and I like you know talk more than we ever have, right everything's gotten better right you know so
0: the journey continues you just uh, the the need to go and see this person on a weekly basis or whatever you were doing is not is not as um it's not as urgent. Urgent, yeah, yeah. that's the word I was going to use.
1: And 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 I think that that's something that we see again and again in you know both in your journey and in my journey is that it, um, at best it's cyclical, um, at at its worst it's erratic, but it's never steady forward progress. No, no,
0: and nothing in life is. Um, but you know what is, uh getting ready to be steady right now. My need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right.
1: I Hold knew that was coming.
0: <laughs> that wasn't very poetically articulated. Hold on a second. Uh,
1: Sorry about that. I to take a quick bathroom break. Uh, quick uh, matriculation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one one of the things I wanted to bring up was uh, you, you said you that the earlier draft of your book had a uh, a, a much more extensive drunkalog. Is uh, did you think about featuring any of that in the paperback version? Uh,
0: I didn't get an opportunity to do an edit for the paperback. Essentially, it was just it was I was just informed that there would be a paperback coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, and that that was a good thing. Uh, so it, it wasn't like, hey, is there anything you want to change for the paperback? Actually, that would have been great. I wish they had said, you know, you want to make a few changes, we can do that. But I. I wasn't given that, um, that option.
1: Uh, so, um, are, are you open to, uh, it ever seeing the light of day? I mean, maybe on your blog or something like that.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that, that, you know, we talked about this last time, but, you know, I kind of had to condense the Drunkalog a little bit because there are, you know, like we, like my book is sort of three different books, you know, and that was just one aspect of the book. And, uh, you know, I painted the whole picture on the first pass just to get it all out there and see what I had to work with. And some of the kind of gnarlier, you know, more, you know, desperate kind of times got weeded out to just convey the kind of flavor of where I was at without getting into specific incidences. Cause it, and then this happened and then this happened. And is, then, it, is, and
1: it, then. We, is it weird that I want to read about that? It makes, yeah, I, I feel like I'm some like torture no, porn know, yeah. enthusiast
0: or something. <laughs> well, Yeah. I mean, there was some colorful stuff in there. I mean, it's not, you know, um, you know, I've read other recovery memoirs and, you know, obviously I know lots of people in recovery and I will, I will tell you that my story doesn't stand out. You know, it's pretty garden variety in terms of like my, my escapades, you know, and you know, that's another level of vulnerability. Like, I don't know, you know, some of that stuff is like, you know, it's, it's, there's some dark stuff in there and, you know, I kind of, laid out you know the general picture without getting overly graphic about the whole thing i don't know if anybody needs to know about that i don't know if anybody's interested in that except for you maybe but i you know i can tell you the story maybe i'll maybe i'll write about it i don't know
1: We'll you, see you should take you no know, it. but
0: it's like i'm not i'm not you know uh you know jerry stall or you know foley right or is james foley right uh, really James Fry, Fry, yeah, yeah, like those guys are dark dudes, right? And their their recovery tomes are you know super intense, like
1: yeah, yeah. Um, if if you do anything with it, you should take it to the moth. The I feel, moth, yeah. yeah, that would be the, uh, the that might be the perfect form for it. Yeah, that could be
0: good. I feel like you have to be like Mike Berbiglia to get up there, though. And you know, like I have this idea of this sort of like.
1: This is the thing, though, like highbrow comedy that goes on there. This is the thing. Before Mike got up there, uh, before Mike Rabiglia got up there to do that, he was just Mike. Mm -hmm. He was just some dude. He's supremely gifted in that medium, though. Well, and also sometimes the microphone brings out greatness in people. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there have been times where I've seen people get up there, and it's, you know, they're a, uh, they're a food service worker, or they, um, you know, they're a CPA or something, and then they get up there, and they're in front of people, and the mics in front of them, and they just grow wings. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's, yeah. it's so cool to. Uh, to
0: Getting watch. up and doing the moth scares me a lot more than doing a hundred
1: mile race. <laughs> All the more reason yeah, why you maybe should that's, do. Maybe that's why I should. Uh, I think you just try committed with that. Like, that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> like I just think about Ira Glass and Mike Birbiglia and like you know like they're sort of these you know hollowed you know talents that are you know kind of made for that and and I've you know I've listened to plenty of them and they're like it's I'm always like wow that's that's some chops to be able
1: to do that. I mean, but you and I both know that chops are often the result of training.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being.
1: I have a couple of points I want to hit uh, while I've got you here. As long as I can, I can stick a couple needles yeah, into you. All
0: right, come on, man. You, you <laughs> I told you, you can come at me.
1: Um, one of the th- one of the points that I wanted to raise, which I think is valid, is the sort of um, the first worldness of. Uh, tr- being a triathlete and being an Ironman. Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the fee alone for an Ironman race is what between six hundred and a thousand dollars. Yeah, then, it's pretty. It can be steep. You know, five to ten thousand dollars for a bike. Um, well, that it doesn't. That doesn't. Yeah, five to ten.
0: That well, you don't have. You don't have to spend five thousand dollars. Maybe the bike. maybe
1: a thousand to five thousand.
0: The bike that I rode Ultraman in the for, in two thousand eight was, you know, off the shelf mid level track i think you know it wasn't like 500 bucks but i think it was under it was like 1500 dollars or 1800 dollars or something like mm-hmm. that so it wasn't nothing but um it wasn't like a ten thousand
1: dollar bike i mean i i bring it up um not just because that's one of the uh it's one of the things that keeps coming up in the one-star reviews that I, that I, I mean, I do want to raise some of these, those questions, but yeah. it's, it's something that's <clears> kept me out of trying, uh, triathlons is just that like, dude, you know how long a $2,000 bike would last locked up in front of my house here. I'd say like 15 minutes.
0: Oh, well you would, first of all, you would never leave a bike like that outside. You leave, you keep it in your apartment, preferably in your bedroom, you know, like those <laughs> Prefer- bikes Preferably you, in your bed, you, you, you develop a covetous <laughs> relationship with those kind of bikes. Um, You know, I think that, uh, certainly there's no getting around the idea that like participating in, in Ironman is, is, you know, an expensive endeavor. Um, and that's just the way that it is. I think that, but, but that's only one slice of what triathlon is, you know, that's a very small fraction of like the triathlon world. And, you know, for somebody who's interested in exploring it, uh, Rather than to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, well, you know, you you see Iron Man on TV and you see these crazy fancy bikes and all this kind of – it's intimidating, right? And you go, well, I can't do that. And that's out of my reach. Like, forget it. But every town has, like, a local triathlon, you know, every other weekend or something like that within driving distance. And, you know, you show up at those races and you'd be amazed that, you know, 99% of the people are on – just, you know, crappy bikes and stuff they, you know, pulled out of their garage and wrenched together or what have you and I think if there's a will there's a way and if somebody's interested in pursuing that, you know, there's a way to to kind of get a foothold in it and and begin without really spending very much if any money. I mean, you know, you need a pair of running shoes, you need a swimsuit. You know, if if you need a wetsuit, you can probably borrow one. You're not going to need that to train for one. Um, <clears throat> you know, you can ride you can find a stationary bike at your local gym and borrow somebody's bike to do your first race. And there's no need to go out and spend a lot of money. You know, once you, if you develop an appetite for it and you enjoy it and you want to explore it further, like you can slowly kind of upgrade over time, you know, and that's kind of what I did. You know, I didn't, uh, you know, and I had to save, you know, put away quite a bit of money in order to be able to kind of underwrite and fund the first Ultraman experience. But, you know, I'm not going around, you know, racing every weekend because there's a lot of travel involved with that. And, you know, I can't afford that. So, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, You know, in many ways, it is kind of a first world. I mean, it's, you know, in the same way that golf or tennis is, I suppose. Um, I don't know. But, But I think that it doesn't have to be that way. And I think if you erect that barrier and say, well, it must be nice to be able to go and do triathlons, but I can't afford that. I think that's kind of a cop out, too.
1: Yeah, I agree, and i, I mean, I think that, I, th- I think that you know, there's there's two different you know there's two different worldviews there. If you look at something and say, "Why can't I do that?" That's one worldview. The other worldview is, "How can I find a way to do that?" Right. That's and that's two what you're entirely describing entirely different
0: is. ways of looking at a situation.
1: You know, I mean, you know, like you, I'm sort of a top-down guy. So if I ever w- was going to do a triathlon, it would have to be an Ironman. Just because, like, right. I, I you know, <laughs> I want to, like, uh-huh. just, you know, give me the toughest thing you to have. Give and, me the worst and, you got. And
0: knowing you a little bit, if you set your mind to do it, you'd find a way to get a bike somehow, some way. You know, you'd work it out. And, you know, maybe it's not going to be a $10,000 bike, but you don't need a $10,000 bike. And, you know, a lot of – it's like the business, this, the you know, the bicycle industry uh, profits tremendously from – Sort of, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of guys with a little, you know, dispensable cash who get interested in triathlon and they want to have the best bike and they buy these bikes that are like these windfoils, you know, that are that are made for made for speed, um, but are so. It's sort of like uh, somebody who's never ridden a motorcycle buying a motorcycle that's just way too fast for somebody with the, that sort of aptitude to ride it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you're a professional and that's your job then, you know, you want the Formula One racer. But if you want to just finish one of these races and, you know, do your best, there's no need for all that crazy equipment. And it's easy to get caught up in all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, like Lance Armstrong said, you know, with an asterisk, I suppose. It's not about the bike, you know. But, it's, you know, <laughs> despite everything that's occurred with him, I mean, that that sort of precept remains true. It really isn't, you know. And
1: that's that's and, one of it's things easy I- to get
0: hung up on that.
1: That's one of the things I find really frustrating about running these days is that there's this – gotta get the gear mentality and you see people in this in these sort of uh shoes you'd expect to see on uh, astronauts in a movie or something like that and they have uh you know they have the the gels on a band like um you know like artillery like there were some mexican revolutionary and <laughs> right. stuff like that and it's, it's true anything. i
0: mean of, look at yoga what do you need to do yoga and now there's like all these crazy expensive mats and the special towel and the what you know like you can get these i mean there's no end to now the amount of gear that you can buy for something that essentially you need nothing in order to do
1: to i can could not agree more i mean the other thing is what that gear does is it functions as a means to prevent you from doing the thing that the gear is supposedly designed for you know it's like uh, running oh you know i saw well i can't run without my whatever my reebok pumps or i can't run without my spandex tights or, or my garmin run, like you know, if i don't
0: have my garmin on that and i go out and run then did it count
1: yeah or my my body glide or my iphone or what? just whatever and like you can run in anything man when i was a kid my uh my foster brother would kick anybody's butt running in flip-flops
0: Mm-hmm. you know he's
1: a vietnamese uh vietnamese refugee who came to live with us it's his birthday today oh wow and uh yeah he's he's turning 40 and uh it's funny because we have pictures of us when we were kids and we're the same height and then he <laughs> he didn't grow anymore and now with pictures of us together oh. it looks like uh chewbacca and yoda oh that's funny <laughs> but he could outrun anybody you know barefoot or in flip-flops and and mm-hmm. and that's the thing is that um like the taramara that
0: the taramara indians they talk about in born to run when they show up at leadville i mean they don't you know they've never had any of that kind of stuff and they don't need it and it sort of puts a microscope on you know how excessive um and obsessive we can be about that stuff but i think it, it also goes towards this sense of identity like creating an identity for yourself around the gear and the how the gear kind of fuels that like you know, whether it's the, your Oakley shades or or whatever it is that sort of says, this is who I am and this is the team that I belong to. And, uh, and, you know, people can take comfort in that and, and like that. And, you know, if it's a healthy pursuit, I have no judgment about that, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's always important to kind of check yourself and go, well, you know, do I need this? Do I really need, you know, do I really need this, two thousand dollar carbon wheel for my for for my bike you know like to ride to the store yeah when (laughs) or yeah i mean you know it it can get crazy and it's it's the same with look it's the same with um audio files and their stereo gear it's the same with you know golf and your golf clubs or you know whatever your thing is you know there's you can you can uh you know you can go all the way to the wall with it in in terms of money but it doesn't need to be that way.
1: Well, I mean, Kate Exhibit A. Look around my apartment and look at the zillion, you know, guitars I've. Like yeah, three
0: do you really need all these guitars,
1: dude? I have, I have like three thousand dollar guitars here, and when when I'm making a record, the guitar that I use, I paid one hundred and ninety bucks for. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's it. I only need one. You can yeah, only and play I would look it one around at a time. Here and go you know? well,
0: well, uh, you know, I can't be a musician because I don't have forty five amps and like fifty guitars like you do. So it's out of my reach
1: exactly exactly and 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 i mean that's one of the things that it's important to me when i'm you know when i'm hooking first-time guitar players up with their first-time guitar or something like that um or when i'm talking to people who you know the guy at the corner store he wanted to get into running he was like what do i need and i was like Nothing, dude. Do you want to go running right now? We, do you have a break? We'll go run around the mm-hmm. block. You know, like you have your you are born equipped with everything you need to go running.
0: Well, in the same way that the gear can fuel an identity, it can also um, act as a barrier to prevent somebody from doing something, and and you can create a comfort zone around that. So, for example, you can say. Well, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to, you know, ride a bike, but I just can't afford it. And so, and you can kind of say that's your excuse out of doing it. Or, you know, I'd love to, you know, run a marathon, but I can't afford a hundred and thirty dollar pair of shoes, so you know, it's not going to happen for me. So you can erect these, these um, obstacles that are really just projections of your imagination, um, that are set up to make you feel better about, uh, about you know not getting out of your comfort zone and trying something that that probably scares you because that's when somebody says that it's like oh i hear the fe- there's oh you're just you're afraid there's just fear there like let's talk about working through that fear forget yeah. about the 130 dollar shoe let's let's focus on that and like then suddenly if you can overcome that like the shoe issue disappears
1: yeah, the I guess the fear is the invisible accessory that you see with some of those people who are over equipped, or people who use the equipment as a, as a reason not to do something.
0: Mm-hmm. And look, you know, I know how it go, Like I've I've showed up at triathlon races. Everybody's incredibly fit. They have all this crazy gear. And um, I remember when I um, showed up to do Wildflower, uh, the Wildflower race, and I think that was two thousand six or seven. Um, I talk about it in the book. It's a race that I DNF'd at. It was really kind of the first triathlon that I was undertaking, and I was ill-prepared and brand new to the sport, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was, like, determined to go and do this thing, and I had, you know, a crappy bike, and I didn't have the right gear or anything like that, and I remember being there and seeing all these incredibly fit people and being, like, in fancy bikes and all of that and being intimidated, you know, and so I see how that goes, you know, I see how that can work.
1: Rich, I, I feel like you're missing an opportunity here because thus far I've needled you into uh, agreeing to run a hundred miler with me and doing the moth. Oh,
0: and yeah. I think you're
1: missing your opportunity. Did I agree? To- I, don't,
0: I think we can rewind. I'm not sure I agreed <laughs> To do, I definitely didn't agree to do the moth.
1: I'm just saying you're missing an opportunity to grill me into agreeing to do a triathlon. Now that I oh, uh, you're
0: right, right. <laughs> well, because you gave you, you were giving me such a hard time. You you felt like I I was like hard on you last time. So I'm letting you do you know, <laughs> the questions. So um, you, you weren't. But I think being doing a tri after what you've done. You know, I think doing a triathlon is is a no brainer and something that would be fun and easy for you. Okay. Oh, uh, you just agreed, right? All right. Yeah. Do I get to pick the race?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, if I'm in, I'm all in, you know me.
0: All right. We'll talk about it. After this. <laughs> you can do it. It'll be fun, man.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm love like, it, actually. It's, listen, it's been something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I always loved swimming as a kid, but I wasn't a great swimmer. I got kicked off the swim team for my back. But you
0: were on athlete. a swim team and you know how to swim so yeah well yeah
1: right then i and in there you're like
0: ahead of most people
1: yeah yeah i guess i'm you know i'm running out of excuses you are um speaking yeah, of excuse uh, of like
0: oh i don't want my bike to get stolen you know, Bike, <laughs> you can you hang it from the ceiling over there
1: i but that's where i put guitars dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um i, I was completely spaced on my thought there um Oh, speaking of shameless product placement, we were talking about putting obstacles in front of doing stuff, running a marathon, doing a triathlon, getting sober, doing mm-hmm. things you want to do. Um, you know, I, I've told you about this, but I wanted to sort of bring it up again. I, um, a buddy of mine was like, I'm 37, I'm in lousy shape. I want to be doing what you're doing like. Can you? But I but I don't have any money. Can I trade you a painting uh, for whipping me into shape? Mm -hmm. Um, And that gave me the idea of. I mean, I feel like, you know, for a lot of us, real or imagined, money is a big obstacle to doing this stuff. Whether Mm -hmm. it's money in the in the shape of time or paying, you know, especially in Manhattan, paying for a hundred dollar a month gym membership or something like that. Um, So one of the things that I started was uh, was just doing barter camp. Where my uh, my friends who are my age, who are both fat and skinny, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, they, I just, they show up and I train them for, for whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's want. awesome.
0: You know, I think that's fantastic. So, where's the painting? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I,
0: I guess I don't know. <laughs> you haven't collected that's, yet?
1: Uh, that's Tim's self-portrait right there. The The naked woman with her breasts hanging out. That's uh-huh. my friend, Tim
0: so that's what he looks like
1: good looking guy huh yeah i guess wow real men have curves
0: no i think that's super cool man and and uh that's something i could see you know being kind of a viral concept um i think it's really cool and it and you you know i think especially in you know sort of economic downturns um, you're seeing more and more of that, you know, this, this barter economy and even online, you know, there are sites that are springing up where uh, a friend of mine uh, started up, has a startup. It's called Tradeya, t- uh T R A D E Y a trade. Dot com. And it's like, Hey, I have this and I need this. And somebody, you know, it's like basically just this online barter system. And you, oh, there's, that's a, great. there's a bunch of little things like that online. And, and it's, it's cool. You know, I like that. There's a, like an authentic, genuine, you know, give and take with that. and, um, you know you have something to give and it probably makes you feel good to be able to kind of relate you know what you've learned and help these other guys out and they can give you something in return it's it's cool man i could see that like springing up in all sorts of metropolitan cities
1: that's i mean that's one of the things that i've found with you know having write written about you know sobriety and recovery and, and exercise is that readers don't realize how much they inspire me I think that I think that you know your readers probably see you as an inspirational character, and they're, and they're right to. Um, but I know that that there's there have got to be readers and reader stories that have inspired you. Oh, absolutely!
0: You know that's like the whole like the emails that I get. You know that's what it definitely it doesn't just inspire me; it like spurns me on. You know, like that's why you know, I've made the decision to kind of shutter the law practice and step into this world and, and, you know, try to, you know, take what I'm doing to another level because they're inspiring me to get the message out more for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it's great. It's really a positive feedback loop. You know, I, um, there have been times where I'm feeling unmotivated because everybody feels that way sometimes, particularly when you're mm-hmm. training for a big event, you oh, yeah. know, and uh, you know, I'll get an email from somebody and they're like, all right, you know, I, I started getting up at five 30 every morning and, you know, to run, you know, seven miles each day before work. And it's all because of you. And I'm like, man, I don't get up at five 30. <laughs> no,
0: I don't get up at seven. Keep you honest. Like now you gotta, you gotta get up and do it because you can't, you can't, you know, you can't have them doing it and you, you know, you're going to feel lousy if you start, sloughing off right
1: exactly exactly it's great and and, you know when starting to do the barter camp thing really was like okay now i need to be able to know how to train people and i need to Mm -hmm. i need to design a workout that i can get through you know Mm -hmm.
0: how many guys are do you have showing up
1: Uh, we've done one so far and i Mm -hmm. had uh i think i had five guys come out um, which is great it's open to women as well of course i can't wait and you know for a woman to come out and just school all all of us and it won't it won't take much <laughs>
0: right you should um like set up a face group uh facebook group page or something like that for yeah it. yeah i will definitely and you can do like that. post times and things like that that would be cool
1: yeah i gotta get on that um so the paperbacks dropping on this trip you have um the big vegan uh talk festival thing all right yeah yeah
0: i'm speaking on saturday
1: (laughs) (laughs) what um what's next in the pipeline for you i mean we talked a little bit about it on the way here
0: um the uh yeah so i'm starting to think about the next book um i talked a little bit about it with osher uh yesterday so i don't want to rehash too much for the listener um but yeah, it's it's. I'm sort of been thinking out loud for a while now about you know what I want a follow up book to be about, and kind of looking at um, the landscape in terms of you know the diet and nutrition books that are out there, um, the plant based nutrition books, and sort of saying, well, you know, what can I what can I bring to this dialogue to this discussion that that is you know really kind of growing. Um, gaining a lot of momentum I mean I I said this the other day like uh, Rip Esselstyn's uh, follow up book to the Engine 2 Diet came out this week it's called My Beef with Meat and um, as of yesterday it was like at one point it was number 13 on Amazon it probably even went you know into the top 10 I don't know Uh, but you know that's enormous right it's huge right so that just shows me that there's a ton of interest in this kind of lifestyle and eating and, and, and that's a good thing Um, But it also, you know, makes me say, well, you know, is there anything else to be said? Uh, You know, I don't want to write another book that's a retread of information that's already out there. um, And I'm not going to write another book if I'm not bringing something that I feel is valuable to and helpful to people. So I've been putting a lot of thought into that. And, you know, I'm I'm not ready to like fully articulate, you know, kind of what it what it's going to be. But I have some ideas about it. And I think it's you know, it starts with the plate and what you put on the plate and what you put in your body. And, but I'm also interested in, in what happens after that. You know, for me, that's a starting point uh, to a journey that can take you in many different directions. And from a holistic point of view, that, that means really addressing the mental and spiritual aspects of your health um, and how to kind of, you know, the, the big theme of my book is becoming more self-actualized or kind of unlocking a better version of yourself and, uh, developing a better relationship with who you are and, and diet and fitness are a big aspect of doing that. Um, but that's not the end of the story. So I'm, 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 interested in kind of, um, picking up where the diet books leave off. You know, a lot of these diet books, they'll say, here's why you should eat this way. Here's how you eat this way. Here's a bunch of recipes and uh now go enjoy your life and that's the end of the story, right and for me it's like well well now what you know that's that's the beginning of the story for me and I don't see a lot of books out there that kind of um, follow up with the next chapter and so that's kind of what I've been putting some brain power into so we'll see
1: when when I quit drinking for me it was just, um... It was just subtraction. I was just I. I'm going to remove this thing from my life, and then I will be me. I will re- continue to be to remain the same guy, and everything else will go go forward as planned, just without the alcohol. It didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Um, but um, I, I, I've, I'll come out and say that I've done. As little to grow spiritually as possible. That that's one aspect of sobriety and recovery that I've really dragged my feet on. And it's still, I mean, I'll be honest, it still scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And um one of the things that's abundantly clear reading Finding Ultra is that you really went on a a journey through memory, an emotional journey, a spiritual journey. Um, you really um, tried to re- reinvent or rediscover or get a new perspective on your entire person, not just your fitness or your, you know, alcohol intake or lack thereof and stuff like that. I mean, when I, whenever I, whenever I'm thinking about the book, I always think about. This guy on his bike, biking like he's possessed, and uh, just the inside of his skull. And what's, you know, I mean, also, like, dude, Epic Five and, you know, Ultraman and stuff like that. Like, y- your brain must go to amazing and terrifying places. <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> A lot of the times, it's just blank, too.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday too. Uh, Asher asked a similar question and it's, you know, it's like, what are you thinking about, you know, when you're in that painful place or you're doing that like a possessed person? And, and, uh, you know, I said the same thing to him, which is, you know, I don't know, you know, like a lot of it is (laughs) like, I, I don't know. I mean, I would say that, that, um, I'm always trying to get to that place of like no mind, you know, uh, particularly in, I guess, in a training context, like where, where it's an active meditation. And, and I said this yesterday too, uh, you know, where time becomes elastic and you kind of lose time and, and, uh, And the thinking brain, you know, starts to turn off because the thinking brain is not always my friend. You know, quite often it's attacking me with negative impulses and messages that don't serve me. And I work really hard to kind of, you know, redirect my thinking and to uh, make the choice to not listen to those messages. But the real kind of peace comes when you can actually turn it all off. Um, and that comes through practice, you know what I mean? It's like you, you read these stories of these Tibetan monks that sit in these caves for days on end and they don't eat food and they don't, they don't have water and they're in this, you know, blissful state of samadhi, you know, it's like, I want to, I want to, I want to achieve that, you know what I mean? And like my means for exploring that is a little bit different. Um, but I think the end point is the same. It's, it's, you know it's a it's it's a spiritual quest as much if not more so than a physical you know a fitness oriented kind of thing, um, and you know when you're in those really long sessions, and you kind of can start to approach that place, time does become elastic, and you kind of lose time, and that you know eight hour ride doesn't feel like an eight hour ride. It feels it it, it feels you know like a dream.
1: Yeah, I mean, my experiences with losing time are usually on the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the other side of the sobriety coin. But um, Well, I know
0: what that's like, too, you know.
1: The, the last marathon that I, I went out to run, I mean, I went out to do like 15 miles with my friend Dave. Uh, Dave was my drinking buddy when I was 20, and mm-hmm. uh, we used to live in this unheated basement together, and— the thought that he and I would ever be running like 10 miles or something together. is, like, is preposterous. It's mind yeah. blowing. I, I mean, I love being able to reverse like the old darkness from my past like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we went out to do uh, you know, 10 or 15 miles and I ended up doing a full marathon. And when I got home, like it, it really didn't seem like that many miles or that many hours. It just seemed like, you know, we had a good laugh.
0: Right. And that's crazy, right? Yeah. It's insane. Works. Yeah. And it's, it's your perspective on it. You know, I remember when, um, you know, during Epic five, the, f- the fourth Iron Man on Maui was so difficult and it just, you know, I really met my maker on that and had reached a level of exhaustion that I just didn't even think I was capable of. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, there was one remaining, right? There was another one to do to finish. And I got a really good night's sleep and I got a couple really good meals in me and woke up and I remember approaching that day and enjoying that day as if that Ironman was just a celebration of all the four that had preceded it, like this sort of victory lap, um or like an afterthought i was like oh we're gonna go out and do this iron man in kona day. it's gonna be awesome we're just gonna have a good time you know and like i had no like oh it's gonna hurt or it was none of that it was like this we're just gonna breeze through this we already did four this week and i actually feel pretty good because i actually got a good night's sleep finally in the middle of this thing um no problemo you know and it's like that's insane right that's insane and and so my perception of how long it was going to take my perception of how it was going to feel, all of that, you know, had had shifted from the way that I'd felt even a couple of days prior. And I remember, you know, it still took all day, but, you know, it was, we had a good, it was like the most enjoyable of all the Ironmans, you know, yeah, and it didn't, yeah. and it, and our, when we were done, it was like, oh, we're do all right, we did that, cool, we're done. Like, it was the same kind of, I mean, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I relate to what you just said with that, that marathon story, it was very similar.
1: Yeah. It's I mean it's funny the the picture of uh of you and Jason Lester at the end like you guys look uh you guys look cached but it's almost like you know you and your cousin ran out to the the hay barn and back.
0: Right I mean that was it <laughs> like, too. We were the only one there was like one other person standing there that took the picture. There wasn't anybody around right? you know I mean we had, uh, you know, a couple of friends cheers to the end, but you know, that was it. It wasn't like a finish line or anything like that. It was like, all right, I guess we're done. Like, you know, I'm hungry. <laughs> like when you gonna go to bed now, <laughs> what, what's
1: going on? It's, you know, it's funny. Like a lot of my friends who don't run, they're like, you know, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a little, little beat in kickboxing class today. Cause I ran a marathon two days ago and they're like, oh, which marathon? And I was like, you know, just, just this, ran around this, this one. Yes. It's, just, it's out there waiting for you to go and do <laughs> yeah. it anytime, you know? Uh-huh. And the, uh, the marathon that i did for boston of like of all the races that i've ever done that was probably the most rewarding because i like got to the end and there was no finish line i was just i was in the middle of manhattan and like some guy was walking by with his girlfriend and i was like yo look at my garmin and he was like get away do you need a dollar like (laughs) get away from me and i was like no look and it was like 26.2 on the dot and he was like what and i was like yeah and he gave me a high five and that was it yeah that's cool that's what's about man Getting, that's getting, what it's about. Yeah, getting a high five from a random stranger, and it was just—it was, you know, it was so personal. It was like just—it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was it was my thing. It was our thing. Um,
0: and that's the great thing about running too. You don't you don't need the big race and the entry fee and all that kind of stuff. You can just go out and do it and do it for your, do it for yourself. You don't need anybody to, you know, send you a uh, a race number. You know, you, you can give yourself permission to go out and do it on your own you know and sometimes there's <laughs> that's that can be more satisfying than the race
1: yeah man i yeah mm-hmm. i totally agree it's um it, it, you know and that's uh to me that's the best thing about running is that it's it's so democratic it's you can just you can just go out and do it and it's you know it's it's available to almost everyone i mean unless you have mm-hmm. a physical disability where you actually can't run um, you can afford to run. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. When, uh, when are we going to go out running together, man? I know dude you're going out of town tomorrow right i know i know it's a shame the it's off. i would love to give you a tour of like we can run through the crappiest neighborhoods in
0: <laughs> <Brooklyn>. <laughs> yeah i mean when i come to new york i i i you know i do i go to central park obviously i do the the full loop and then i and i go around the reservoir i mean i know i know the park really well and i know the um you know west side highway what, what do you call that
1: yeah, along, West Side Highway. We? Yeah, just <laughs>
0: along the West Side. I mean, I'll, I'll run. Those are the two places that I run. I'm sure, and I've run over the Brooklyn Bridge and all of that, but I've never really run through, through Brooklyn or you know, like the uh, the outer boroughs are are unexplored territory. So next time, man. Yeah,
1: we'll all run. Right, down when are you to, getting? When are you getting back? Uh, I get back on uh, Monday afternoon.
0: Oh, we, we can run Tuesday, maybe if you're not cashed.
1: I I will be cashed, but we can, we can run down to, uh, we can run down to Fort Tilden. You can give me a swimming lesson.
0: All right. We can do that. I leave, I leave, uh, Wednesday morning. So.
1: All right, let's do it. All right, cool. Are we done here, man? (laughs) I think so. I mean, I, uh.
0: I think we're it, dude. I thought you were gonna, I thought you were just gonna hammer me.
1: No, when, when you said the last thing about running, I was, I was almost like reach over and turn the computer off. Cause oh. I was like, that, I'm never going to say anything better than that. That was beautiful. That was like our sort of hopeful epitaph for the entire conversation. Cool, man. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. Good, man. I think we did it. Awesome. All good.
1: Rich, thank you so much for being a guest on the rich roll show. <laughs> thanks for,
0: <laughs> thanks for guest hosting today, Mishka, indulging, uh, indulging me in this, uh, experiment podcast experiment.
1: It's, it''s it's always it's always a, a weird blast
0: hmm good you know. and I'm going to get you to uh, start your own podcast. I'm more interested in that than in you doing a triathlon <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see all right we're out of here all right thanks, thanks so man much. peace plants <laughs>